Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. a quote to you. I was going to share it at the end, but I I felt like to share it on the front end. I think it'll have meaning now, but certainly at the end. It's by one that I've quoted often, Dr. Sam Storms. It's really amazing that what the Lord has placed on my heart to share has just been so confirmed in worship. And it says this, what earthly entanglements exert a a downward drag on your soul? What fleshly affections compete with passion for him? The power to disengage from from and triumph over all such rival pleasures will come only as we see and savor him who is above. And here's my prayer for this morning. It says, O Father, make known to us the glory of your Son. O Spirit, shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in our hearts. Blind us to all but him captivate us with his splendor so God we ask that you would blind us to all but your son Holy Spirit we ask this morning that as your word goes forth that you would open eyes not just to see but we know if it's a work of the Spirit it's a seeing that savors it's a seeing that delights and cherishes in the one that it's looking upon and I ask God that you would you would finish the work that you're starting here God that you would lift, lift burdens, God, that you would lift that which drags us down, God, that you would remove and expel competing pleasures from hearts, sin, by getting us fascinated with who you are, Lord. We ask that your glory, God, your glory, Lord, would come forth through your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to have knowledge of him. We need the eyes of our hearts to be open this morning. We confess our need, God, that we're not content to go through the motions. We're not content to sing a few songs and to preach a 30-minute message, Lord. But we need to see you, God. We need to see you, Lord. My life depends on it. The eyes of our heart were open at conversion, yes, but it's the pathway to maturity. It's the pathway to ever growing in the Lord. God, would you open our eyes again this morning? That you would bring real freedom. Real freedom. Real transformation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, worship team. Man, worship was amazing. Uh, (laughs) There was one part. Alex, I just went into a different place there and led us before the Lord. It was so sweet. Um, Man, I'm so grateful for our worship team that has such a heart to worship the Lord. It's important to honor people. It's really, really important to honor. What we're honoring is the gift that Jesus has placed in them and their faithfulness to steward it. Um, Wow, yeah. I I, I mean that. Everything that we shared, uh, it opened up in announcements of beholding the Lord uh, was was what was said and then the pleasures of Christ. And uh, these are things that are going to mark where we're going this morning. And um, if Ray, if 
Ray could hook me up real quick again. Um, thank you, Ray. He's, go, he's always got me. Um, we've been, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, two, well, we spent, I think, what is it, two or, or three weeks on it. We've been just having family discussions, I feel like, about who we are uh, as a body. And, and I feel led to stay on that. Um, the Lord led us differently last week, which was, which was so amazing last week. Uh, and Pastor Crystal, what God just put on our heart in the moment. And so we do our best just to try to respond to that. And uh, we come in prepared, but we hold it loosely, you know. And uh, that's what happened last week. But I wanted to, uh, if we get it up, if not, it's not the end of the world. But I've been sharing with you a, uh, just a, a chart, if you will, that really lays out who we are as a community. And the big thing is, is we've been laboring to put vision before us as we go into another year. Uh, there's many things that will come up, many highs, many, many challenges. But we want to stay true to what the Lord's called us to, to be. Uh, Paul told Timothy to guard faithfully the good deposit that was entrusted to him. And I feel the Lord has entrusted to us a good deposit uh, of what we are to be in the strategy uh, for the things that God's put in our heart. And it's really rooted in us being, first and foremost, a house of prayer. It's what Jesus defined his house to be. That's what he came into his temple. So we've been talking about this. You can go back and listen, and we've labored on this stuff in, in years past. But what we've been doing is on this left side, we've been kind of working through this threefold model, this threefold vision which is as a house of prayer, we are that. Number one, it's to minister to the Lord. So we labor to talk about that. It's about loving God. It's our first ministry. Uh, number two, what we're going to get into today is that we're a house of prayer because his presence changes <laughs> as we're experiencing this morning. And, and we want to build a house around the presence of the Lord because this is where our lives are radically touched. And we'll talk about how that happens. And then the last thing we'll get into in, in, a, in a next week is uh, city revival. It's the last thing, the power of worship and intercession and how that's used to bring transformation, not just to individual hearts, but to a city. And so all of this is what we're after. As a house of prayer, we want to love God, minister to Lord, personal revival, city revival. So what we're going to talk about today, it's really just going to give language and clarity to things that we were just worshiping about. But we're going to talk about how when we gather around the Lord, and we're just going to pick one little lane to run in because there's a lot of ways you could talk about how God's presence changes us. But we're going to talk about personal revival and how, how when we consistently come, yes, we do it individually, but as a community, when we come before the Lord to really just come to be with Jesus, how this radically changes our hearts. Um, for us, uh, the concept that we're going to unpack a little bit today is a concept we talk a lot about you see it there on the right, which kind of summarizes all of this. We exist to behold Jesus and bring his kingdom. Uh, I want to talk to you for a little bit of how, what, what happens and what it means to behold the Lord. <laughs> behold the glory of the Lord. And I want, to, I want to demystify that term a bit, this beholding the glory of God. Uh, to be clear, it is, it is a glorious mystery and it's awe-inspiring when we consider what it is that we have access to in the new covenant, what that means that we can behold the glory of the Lord and how it's changing us and what it's changing us into, that same uh, glory. So it is, it is mysterious, it is awe-inspiring, but what I want you to know is that it's not unobtainable, it's not impractical, it's in with, within reach for every single person here. You were called to the depths of Jesus Christ to be conformed and transformed to the very image of Christ in order that your life would reflect the very life of Jesus. And what, what I know, I don't want, I know that you don't want, because you wouldn't be in this house, is that what we're not after is what the Bible often warns, which is a mere appearance of change, but actually nothing has taken place on the inside. Yes? The Bible warns over and over, be weary, be careful, be cautious. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.5, 
that we would have an appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Paul would actually say, avoid such people. That's a powerful statement. You know, if you actually read that text in context, Paul lists out 18 vices of wickedness right before. Lovers of pleasure rather than God, uh, disobedience. I mean, it's a whole list. And what Paul is saying is that it's, there's the potential for us to have all of those things or some operating in our hearts, but before man, we appear really godly. <laughs> That's a sobering, sobering statement. And so we don't want to just have a double life. We're not just looking to modify our behavior for a few hours on a Sunday. We're not just looking to pick up mannerisms, the Christianese language. And I know you're not after that either. What we're after is what the gospel offers, which is real life transformation, a new creation. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, you can be so transformed. It's like the, Paul, the only way Paul can describe it is you have utterly become something new. <laughs> You are a new species. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things are passing away. What we're after is an inside-out transformation. And I think a lot of times when it comes to the mere appearance, I honestly believe this, that you know, Jesus addressed the Pharisees, which was more, I think, an intentional, deceitful thing. But I think a lot of times, and this is where my heart breaks, is that the just appearance or modifying of behavior is not from this intentional place of wanting to be deceitful or malicious, but we've honestly just believed that's the extent of Christianity. Like, isn't that all that it is really? Like, we learn new language, we get new vocabulary, we pick up some new habits, our schedule adjusts a little bit to do more godly things, but deep down we all know our values, our priorities, our heart, our passion, it remains the same. Like, a lot of times, isn't it just kind of a show? We say really good things, waiting for a future day to get with him, but for now, we just remain the same. And my friends, it's radically different. <laughs> we, we can be completely changed and transformed. And what's, what I want to get into, though, is how we change. Because what, look, what it looks like on the outside, that's the end goal, but what happens a lot, I think, is in discipleship is we begin with behavior. And the problem with that is that if we don't deal with the inner transformation first, we can actually lead into, again, just a mere appearance or show versus an actual heart transformation. Now, let me be clear. Uh, we want, what we're after is seeing the behavior change. We want to see that change, but there is a process. You do not change the fruit to change the tree. It's the tree that has to change that produces the fruit. There, there was a well-known Puritan by the name of Edward Fisher who wrote extensively on the treaties of sanctification which essentially is the process of becoming Christ-like. And he labored to say it is an inside-out transformation primarily. And he said this, he explained that external conformity to rules without an internal reality is parallel. It's like watering every part of a tree except its roots and expecting it to grow. <laughs> I love that. We're not just starting with changing behavior. What we're getting at, we're actually looking at a shift of desires, a new heart, which comes through what we're going to talk about today, beholding Jesus. Amen? So let's, um, if you have your Bibles in some way, whether it's phone, whatnot, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3. And I want your faith to be stirred because what we're about to go in is literally everything that we were just worshiping and speaking about. And I'm going to connect this to the prayer room. Again, we're... We behold the glory of God, the Lord, in all facets of our life, but I am more gripped than ever about the need to do this as a body. Jesus, so often I'm, I, I'm 
being confronted with how often I read the scriptures from a very individualistic lens, because that's how we view things, that's how we live life in the West. But the gospel was given to a, in the context of a collective society. They did not just live on their own. It wasn't just about them and the Lord. They lived as a community. And it, it's so important that we have our time with the Lord, but it is so important that we learn to do life together, that we learn to, we need churches that are, are creating, I think, sustainable rhythms of beholding the beauty of God. Because as I've shared in the past, everyone has something to offer, and we're all deeply encouraged when we see someone else pressing into God. When we don't feel like doing it, but we show up and we see someone lifting their voice, lifting a sacrifice, it deeply like affects us. And, and there's actually an impartation of grace. Grace is actually being imparted by other people's like, walks with the Lord and their responses to the Lord. And it touches your heart and all of a sudden you're like, wow, why do I feel so refreshed when I left the gathering? Because grace was actually being imparted by other people. Through the, it's the Lord doing it, but it's their responses and their worship. So we need this one another. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 3. And then I'm going to take us into Colossians uh, 2, beginning of uh, chapter 3. And we're, um, here's how I see this. We're going to go on a journey where we're starting in a shallow end. And I promise we're going to get somewhere where I think we'll be in the deep end. But I, I don't want to lose anyone. I, I want to bring clarity to what we're speaking about. And so I want every single person to come along in this journey. All right, so 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to be... Uh, picking it up in verse 17, and we're looking at how we change. We don't want an appearance of change. We want real change. This is what the scriptures say. So Paul is expounding on the superiority of the new covenant. Okay, this is what Paul is writing. We're picking this up midway through. And what Paul is saying, this is very important, guys, is that the old covenant had glory, but in comparison to the new covenant, it's like it was a, it was a passing. It was a fading glory. Why does the Old Covenant have glory? Paul is basically saying that the Old Covenant was glorious because it offered forgiveness, but that is the extent of what the Old Covenant can do. You can be forgiven in the Old Covenant, but you cannot change. At best, you will just repeat the same cycles again and again and again, offering up the blood of goats every year in order to be forgiven, but you actually can't change. And what Paul is going to say is what makes the New Covenant so glorious what makes Jesus' blood and the impartation of the spirit of righteousness into a believer is that you are not only forgiven, you can be transformed. <laughs> your desires can change. Your habits can change. Addictions can break off of your life. You can actually change where you don't just have an appearance. I feel like, the, man, I know I was stuck in that rut for the first few years of my salvation. I just thought this was it. I had an appearance of change, but I was broken and just, man... I know we're in this ever-growing process, I get that, but I was just plagued by so many, so many sins, and I just said, I guess this is what it is. But this principle we're going to talk about, I think, is the key. It's the foundational key of how to be liberated. And so the new covenant is far superior because it's not just forgiveness, it's transformation. The power of Christ's death is so profound that a Christian no longer needs to live under moral bondage anymore. That's amazing. <laughs> you don't have to live at the mercy of lust anymore and anger and sin. You don't have to look at that thing on the screen anymore. You know, you don't have to do that anymore. That's supposed you can actually be so changed. And there are times, let me be clear, there are times where your desires don't line up with what you should do. You don't wait for your desires to change. You, by the Spirit, you, you do what's right. The Spirit will enable you. But 
What I'm speaking about, though, is there is a place where God wants to take us where, in general, your desires are going to start to be his desires. You're going to find sin repulsive when you find him everything. This is where we begin to change. So let's read verse 17 as Paul is expounding on the glory of the new, uh, of the new covenant. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. This is so exciting. Hearts can be free. So listen, this is really important though. There is often an application that's given from this text that I believe is true and real and we've shared it. And I believe it's genuine and it's a right way to see it, but I, I would also say it's not the fullness of what Paul is saying. A lot of times when we quote where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, it's almost in the context of like last Sunday where we came in prepared, but the Lord led us somewhere different. That is a sign of freedom. But what Paul is speaking about is a freedom that runs deeper than unprepared altar calls in the midst of a worship service. Paul is speaking about the inner man. He's saying where the spirit of the Lord is in a man, he's free. He's liberated. The, the addictions and the old habits can break. You can actually be alive in Christ, transformed. Hallelujah. And here's the key for us right here in this verse, verse 18. And then he says this, and we all. I should say this again at the end when you see the full picture, but let me put this up front. What I'm sharing this morning is not for a select few. Paul is saying this is for every single person in this room. This is not for uh, a select group called the Super Saints because there is no such thing. It is the inheritance, maybe Caesar, no. <laughs> it is the inheritance of every single believer to be called to the depths of Jesus Christ. You have not just been called to be converted, but you have been called to be radically changed because God has a plan for your life, which is to dispense the life of his son into you in order that the life of his son would be reproduced through you. Just as the father was displayed through the son, Jesus, he's now being displayed through the body of his son, which is us. And everyone gets to do this. And we display this through freedom, through liberty, real freedom. We're not set free into nothingness. We're set free in Christ. The freedom is in Christ, to be like Christ, to live like Christ. I feel good. <laughs> and so he says, and we all, with unveiled face, here it is, ready? Beholding the glory of the Lord. Some may say seeing or gazing, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is profound. What you're, what you're beholding is what you're becoming, is what he's saying. And then he says, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the new covenant is far superior because it's about transformation, not just forgiveness. And what Paul says is that the agent of transformation is beholding the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord. So the goal of discipleship, again, is not just to disseminate new information. That will happen. It's not just to modify behavior, though behavior will be changed deeply. It's not just to have an appearance before man. But actually, the goal of discipleship is transformation, is what this says. Uh, the word actually is, is uh, where we get the word metamorphosis, which is a caterpillar into a butterfly. That's the idea of a new creation. This is a profound change that Paul is saying can happen by the spirit of righteousness living in your life. And the agent, here's the, the, but here's the key, guys. How, what is Paul saying? How do you really change, though? At least on a foundational level, we're speaking this morning. 
He says, by beholding the glory of the Lord. No beholding, no transformation. If we don't learn, both individually and corporately, to behold the glory of God, we're not going to change. I'm going to, just stay with me, I'm going to share how I think this happens and why we change and, and what happens, but this is really, really important. We must be a people that learn to behold the Lord. So let's talk about that. What does that mean to behold? That's not a very common word in our language today. Well, simply it means to see with attention. So it's not just a quick passing glance. So if you're going to behold the Lord, you can't just do it on the fly. I mean, there's a place where you can stay constantly setting yourself on the Lord. I get that. But I think really if there's going to be deep transformation, there has to be times of coming away, again, individually and as a body, to intentionally set what you're doing is you're fixing your eyes, your heart, your mind, your being on the Lord. Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. The entire Christian life can be summarized as a saint continually looking upon the Lamb. This is how we live. But you say, well, where am I looking? Am I looking up in the sky? What does this mean? It's not naturalized. It's, it's spiritualized. Just as Paul, or actually it was Jesus in Revelation to the churches, said he who has ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. He's saying we all have ears, but you need spiritual ears to hear this. And we all have natural eyes. But what I'm speaking about is what Paul says in Ephesians 1, the eyes of the heart. This is, this is it's the eyes of the mind. It's, it's the mind, the heart, the being that is set on the Lord through various disciplines, worship, adoration, study, meditating on his word, being with the Lord in stillness, anything it takes to set the gaze of your heart to grow in the knowledge of God. At the heart of beholding the Lord is really what's happening is you're actually encountering the knowledge, who God is. This is where you get transformed. Colossians 3.10 says that the new self is put on by being renewed in the knowledge of the image of your creator. The knowledge of God. This is what the Lord said to Hosea, there's no knowledge of me anymore. <laughs> we need a restoration of the knowledge of God, which is not just being able to regurgitate what we learned over the last 10 years. That's great. This is a knowledge that is transformative. It's relational. And there's something that happens that when we take time to set, again, our, our heart, mind, being to behold the Lord, I'll share how it happens, but we are changed in the process. Uh, to give you an illustration, it's kind of like this, uh, how it's really to behold is the knowledge, to grow in the knowledge. If someone were to share a story with you and you've never, you weren't there and they're sharing the facts, you might say at the end of that story, oh, I see. And what you're really saying is, I, I understand, I, I know. <laughs> now that is on a very superficial, shallow level, but when we say I see, what, what we're saying is there's a knowledge of God that's touching us, a deep knowledge. Now still, what does it mean though we're beholding the glory of the Lord? This is what's amazing. The knowledge that we're growing in, it's, it's the emotions of God. Like something happens when you come away with the Lord and you begin to encounter his heart, what he likes, what he dislikes. When you begin to encounter his emotions towards you, oh my goodness, everything changes when you encounter the emotions. When you behold the God, behold God, it's, it's you growing in the knowledge of his emotions, his power and his works, his manifold moral perfections. You're, you're saying his humility, his justice, his wrath, his holiness, his love, all of it, what's happening is that you're coming into an awareness of loving him, encountering these things. So where, where do you find the glory of the Lord like that? Where do you find the most perfect picture of his emotions? 
of his power and works and of his nature. It's found in Jesus. For if you were to keep reading this in chapter 4, it says the glory of the Lord is found in the face of Christ. Which means there is not a better picture and representation of the heart of the Father, the works of the Father, the nature of the Father, than when you look upon the Son. For he is the radiance, Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the Father, the radiance of the glory of the Father. So when we behold the glory of the Lord, what we're saying, very simply, is we are, we are coming in to set our heart, minds, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. We are setting ourselves to, to engage in disciplines, whether it's worship, adoration, studying, meditating, in order that we would come and behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. When we pray for beholding the glory of the Lord, we're not praying to enter into some trance. I just want you to know so that you really get this. What we're actually praying for is for grace to be able to fully meditate on the one who is infinitely precious. What we're asking for is, Holy Spirit, help me to see and savor all that Jesus Christ is. This is how we behold. It's, it's it, use whatever possible. So when we come in the house of prayer, Thursdays and, and Fridays, morning and night, it's like a greenhouse for beholding the Lamb. We're taking worship, we're taking thanksgiving, praise, we're taking intercession, we're taking the word, we're just declaring it, reading it, and what's happening is we're actually getting for two hours a people that are literally setting their hearts, their, their eyes of their heart and their mind on the Lord. And beloved, you are changing when that happens. Why? That's such a good question. <laughs> well, let's read an important part, verse 6. Are you guys tracking with me? I wanted to bring you there so that we can expound on this now. It says that's great. Beholding the glory is to really set and behold Jesus and all that he is. But still, how does that change me? Well, verse 6, I think, is such an important verse. It says, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we need to understand that there is a division of labor here. There is a role that we play, and then there is a role that the Spirit of God plays. Our job, by his grace is to carve out time consistently, personally, corporately, to come and set our attention to behold the Lamb. The Spirit's job is to make us look like the Lamb. We can't do His job, but He also won't do our job. He'll empower us to say yes, but we must give our yes to Him. It's the people that learn this, they're the ones that are going to change. But still you may say, how does this happen? I used to think it was, again, this like really ethereal, like unobtainable, just by chance it was happening, an osmosis thing where... I don't know, I'd somehow just come out different. But I actually think, at least in one way, that what we're talking about here and what Paul's getting at is something we experience in the natural all the time, which is that long looking with admiration produces change in your life. In other words, consider a hero or consider someone that you've looked up to as a role model. I know growing up loving sports, there were individuals that I, I, I looked up to, right? I, I, I looked at. The more you admire someone, what begins to happen? You begin to pick up their facial expressions, their tone of voice, their phrases, their mannerisms. It, it can get to such an extent that you'll actually pick up the convictions and the beliefs of those that you look up to and declare, that's my hero, that's my role model, because you admire them, right? And the more that you admire someone, the more deeply profound the transformation and emulation gets. In the case of Jesus, who is infinitely admirable, 
When the Holy Spirit calls us to see him, the only right response is that it leads our admiration to rise to the most absolute pure exaltation and worship of him. What the Spirit is actually doing when he calls us to see him and says, I, I want to be like this man. When, when he opens your eyes to really encounter the knowledge of who Christ is, whether it's humility, whatever it is, what's happening is it's leading you to an admirable seeing. This is actually how you know it's a work of the Spirit. For the Spirit, it doesn't, even though it doesn't say this, it, it's implying this, that the way of transformation is for the Spirit to cause you to see the Son, but he would never cause us to see and remain indifferent towards the Son. The seeing that's produced that you would know you've seen by the Spirit is a seeing that savors. It's a seeing that delights. It's a seeing that cherishes. How do I know I've beheld by the Spirit? For you will leave with a deeper delight over the one that you've been looking over. Why is that so important? Because this text goes on to say that the God of this age, Satan, has a strategy, which is to seek, he seeks to blind the minds of unbelievers that they would not see the glory of Christ in the gospel. In other words, I really believe the strategy of Satan is not so much to get us to stop meeting. <laughs> let him meet. Let him sing songs. Let him preach the message. Let the facts be comprehended. Just don't let them see glory. That's what he doesn't want to see. Let them see nothing compelling that is beautiful, nothing that would cause them to treasure and savor the one that they're looking on. So what we're asking when we come before the Lord, this is why, guys, when you're in your study with the word, you're not just looking to finish a plan. Plans are beautiful. They give you direction. But transformation is not found from completing a plan. It's found from encountering the man Jesus. We're asking, Holy Spirit, you need to, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart. I need the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I don't just come out singing songs or reading facts, but I haven't seen glory. I haven't seen something that grips my heart. And this is so important because this is where we're going to see the key is to overcoming sin in a sec. But the Spirit wants to lead us into a savory seeing of the Lord. Guys, this is so important. I, 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 this really impacted me on many levels, but the Holy Spirit is not changing us in an isolated way. He's not just doing it directly on the side. What this actually says is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together to change us, and they have a plan of how they do it. In other words, the Spirit, what he's doing is he's actually not just changing us directly. The way he's changing us is by enabling us to see the Son. In other words, he's changing us to the degree that we're looking at the Son. No looking at Jesus, no transformation. This is so important. This is why we can't be program-centered, we can't be class-centered, we can't be man-centered, we can't be gifting-centered. As much of those things are beautiful, we can't be that centered because the only thing that the Spirit, the way he's going to change us, is when we're looking unto Jesus. Because his goal is to make us look like the Son, which means where he's attracted, where he breathes and causes profound Inside-out transformation is when there's a community that continually comes around and says, I want to look upon you, Jesus. Holy Spirit says, well, that's where I'm going to change now because I'm going to make you look like the one that you're looking at. Amen? This is why we, at least in part, why we take so much time to come before the Lord. We want to love him, ministry to him, but we also know that it's changing us deeply when we behold him like this. So we've got a, a, an expression... Um, that uh, I heard once that it's just really fitting. I would put it this way, that discipleship for us begins with beholding. Begins. It's not the full extent, but I believe it's, it's, it's the foundation that leads into everything else. And as I said before, I think a lot of times discipleship, the process is often we begin with behavior. The problem is we're trying to work outside in. 
And what, we're, what we want to do is follow what the scriptures say to work in an inside-out transformation. So I'll illustrate it this way, a little bit silly, but hopefully uh, it, it connects with you. Um, it was uh, maybe a year ago, so I was thinking about this. I want you to picture a young man uh, who's in high school, all right? Some of you are probably going to be like, this is my story. <laughs> and uh, he was doing well in sports and school and whatnot. He was focused and driven, took care of himself, worked out. And all of a sudden, you just see his life, his habits radically change. Now, all of a sudden, he's not motivated anymore. Uh, his coaches are concerned. He's not really showing up as he once was. He doesn't show the passion that he once had. Uh, he's not taking care of his hygiene anymore. I mean, just like basic things are just falling apart. And his parents, teachers, coaches, everyone have come around him and done everything they can to try to change his behavior. They've tried the soft approach. They've tried the hard approach. Does it sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> Nothing is changing. And then all of a sudden, a few months down the road, they notice this man is different now. All of a sudden, he's taking care of himself again. <laughs> he's going back to the gym. He's working out. He's back on sports teams. All of a sudden, he's got vision for his life. He wants to go to college. He wants to do well. He wants to get a good job. And you say, what happened that this man's entire life has changed? And you find out that he found a beautiful girl. <laughs> he beheld a beautiful woman. And he became so fascinated by this one that he beheld that all of a sudden, his habits and behavior began to change just by becoming fascinated with this one. So much so that not only did his old habits change, but he began to take on new habits. He began to go out to restaurants and develop an appetite and, and, a, and a palate that he never had before. He began to find himself in Bushwick, Brooklyn, living in there when he said he would never be in there. His whole life direction has changed. Why? Because he has found one that is so beautiful and fascinating. That, that is, he's not being beaten into that. He desires that. He, he desires to do that. So when we're talking about Jesus, it's, it's not Jesus' physical beauty, but it's his nature, his emotions, his works, all that is. As you grow in the knowledge of these things, it's just like that story. Old habits break off. You begin to walk in new habits because you love the Lord. It's, it's not just from duty, although that happens at times, but it's from a place of desire. I believe the Spirit of the Lord, the way He really changes us in this account is not by working directly on our sinful habits, but by causing us to admire Jesus to such a degree that our sinful habits feel foreign, distasteful, and repugnant. He's not just getting us to go, no, 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 to all these things. What He's actually, because that's not where the power of freedom is found. What He's actually causing us to do is look upon the Lord and be so in awe of the one we're looking at that those things are repulsive to us now. That's real change. That's inside-out transformation. That's, I don't want to partake in that, not just because, well, you know, someone's right around the corner and they'll see me, but I love Jesus. I am in love with this man, and I would never want to do anything to hinder the covenant that I've been brought into with him. This comes from beholding the glory of the Lord. Notice this, too, in this passage. It says that we're being transformed this is so important, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So I, let me be clear. I love dynamic and like dramatic encounters and experiences with God. I love it. I believe it's part of our inheritance. I believe they're not just add-ons to the Christian walk. They're actually essential to what God wants to do in our life. But what this is actually saying is that the real like standard of how we change is not just in these really profound, like dramatic places, but actually transforming from one degree to another. 
It's, a, it's gradual, it's progressive. It's the one who's learned to consistently set the Lord before him. Worship, adoration, meditating on the Lord, study, whatever it is, coming to prayer sets. The one who's learned to consistently do that is changing slightly day by day by day by day. He's being renewed. <laughs> Just as the moon can sometimes light up the night, what's actually happening? The moon has no light. The moon is merely just positioned in front of the sun. It's reflecting the glory of the sun. So it is with us. We do not possess light in ourselves, but as we consistently position ourselves to look at Jesus, what's happening is his glory is being reflected from our life. It's an amazing thing. Our broken little vessels reflecting and showing the glory of God. This is how we overcome sin. Uh, you know what? Let me wait on that. I'm gonna, we're going to get into that. Let me share one other verse, and then we'll jump into the text. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says then, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Having this ministry, what ministry? Beholding the face of Jesus. If I were to ask you when we started this service, are you guys called to ministry? So maybe, maybe not. Yes, you are. Many ministries. One of your ministries is beholding Jesus. That's why in this body, we have a ministry that's dedicated to leading people to do this. David said in Psalm 63, when he's writing about the tabernacle of David, he said, in your sanctuary, I behold your power and glory. That was a corporate gathering. He, would, he made space for the, for the priest to come and corporately behold the power and glory of God. Uh, it was shared in the beginning, Psalm 27.4. One thing he was after, to behold, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the temple. That's a corporate place. That's what we're doing. We want to make space for the one thing, to behold his glory, because this is how we're changed. So let me, let me read one other text with you. Come to Colossians, please. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2. And so I, I won't spend a tremendous amount of time in this, but I want us to press in deeper to this reality is how this idea of seeing Jesus and being so in awe and, and admiring the one you're looking at, how does this change us? And Paul will kind of take that reality. He's going to speak, and he doesn't use the words beholding, but he uses the same concept, and he's really going to teach us how, again, we change. And in some respects, this is what I really wanted to get to, um, but I knew that we needed to just make sure everyone was there and we had the same, we're on the same place when we're talking about beholding God's glory. So I'm going to pick it up kind of towards the end of chapter 2, but here's, here's the extent of what Paul is doing right now. Paul is combating a teaching, a heresy known as the Colossian heresy. And it's beyond the extent of today to unpack this fully, but essentially uh, there, there's different thoughts. Was it the same old Judaizers? Was it a different group? Uh, we're not exactly sure, but here's what we do know is that what Paul was writing was to combat a teaching which essentially said that the pathway to maturity, fullness of life, holiness could be found devoid of Christ himself. In other words, you can experience the abundant life, you can experience holiness, you can experience freedom if you can just embrace enough self-imposed restrictions and regulations. If you can just learn to master the word no, 
you will find all that there is in the Christian life. And for a lot, this is the extent of the Christian life that they're walking, just trying to avoid the bad things. But what Paul is going to say is that approach to Christianity sounds really alluring, but it's dangerous and deceptive. You will never be energized in the war with temptation if all you've done is learn how to stay away from the bad things. This is what we've been talking about. We need, we need to get, if you would, fixed on the Lord. This is where there is power to say no when you are confronted with sin and temptation. So let's pick it up in verse 21. Paul is, again, he's, we're just kind of mid-thought here, but he's, he's addressing that, this heresy that you could receive fullness of life without Jesus, just learning to master the externals. Verse 21 says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referencing to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. So what he, what, you know, here's what Paul's doing. Paul is blowing up the just say no campaign, <laughs> right? Now, again, we don't have the time to go into all of it, but what he's, he's addressing a teaching that's literally telling people, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And if you do that, you're going to be free. If you do that, you'll be mature, you'll be full of life. This is the essence of the Christian life. It's based on you saying no. Now, there, there is a real place for, for us uh, denying ourselves things, but what, I'm, what we're getting at is that it's an inside-out process. It's not just us from the outside in just trying to stop doing these things. You'll never win the war against sin like that. So here he goes on to say this, verse 23. This is so important. Brings us full circle from where we started. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. So this whole approach to the Christianity that is emphasized on just like the externals, it looks really wise. It looks like someone takes things so serious. They've added all of these extra laws. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that. Paul says it has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Did you hear that? The whole irony of this is that the one who's only learned how to just say, say no and they boast and how they don't do this and don't do that, if they've never learned to taste Jesus as we're going to see, they're promoting a lifestyle to say this is holiness, but Paul says the irony of it is they're bound by the flesh. You saying no is not how you're going to be able to overcome. The glory of the Christian life is not found in the no, it's found in the yes to the right thing. That's where the glory is. That's what he's saying. So clearly Paul doesn't just want to denounce what is ineffective. Paul, you must be wanting to give us how we are to find real freedom, and that's exactly right. Paul is going to teach us what really curbs the flesh. And look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So seek the things that are above where Christ is, and listen to this language in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Paul says it's not just founding no. What is he saying? The answer to finding freedom, the answer to being, uh, walking in purity and holiness is not by mere avoidance, but by setting your mind on Jesus. What is that? That is beholding the Lamb. That's what we just said. For all the reasons we said and for more, the answer and the way that you get liberated from sin, where you have power over the flesh, is by setting your mind, setting your attention that the eyes of your mind would grow in the knowledge of God. Why though? Why is that? Why is that the case? Here, here's where we're going to land this thing. This is so important. The reason why that merely avoiding 
the wrong things without ever touching what's right, what you were made for, will never, you'll never be able to overcome that way, not at least long term, is because of what's said in Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 about Moses. And this is what it says, that, that Moses, by faith, when he, when, he, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then verse 25, listen carefully, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, here it is, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting pleasures of sin. Why do you and I sin? It's awful. No, it's not what the scripture says. It has pleasure. Sin has pleasure in it. That's the only reason why we do it. Here's the issue, though. It's fleeting pleasure. So that means it's temporary. It's transient. It's, it's here today, gone tomorrow, and it leaves you more broken in the end. But the issue is, the reason why we do it is because for a moment, it actually feels good or else we wouldn't do it. See, the answer is you can't just deny yourself things that bring pleasure and live in a pleasure vacuum because God's created you with desires for real pleasure. So if you just learn how to say no, but never learn to be fascinated with him, you've left your heart vulnerable and eventually you will go right back to those things. No matter what denomination you come from, the, here's the common thread. We all know there's a sin issue, and we're all wondering, how do we get set free from the paralyzing grip of sin? And most of the time, the theory has been, now hear me carefully, I'm fully through, but most of the time, I think the theory has been, if we can just speak loud enough, angry enough, threatening enough, if I can lay out the horrors of sin clear enough, we will get people to radically change. Now, let me be clear. Sin is horrific. Actually, in a few weeks, God's put something on my heart that we're going to really go into what happens when we sin, the doors that are opened up. It really, we need to teach on that. There is urgency. Heaven and hell are real. But what I want you to know is that if our sole approach to life transformation is just telling people the consequences and don't do this, don't do that, we have not empowered them how to actually overcome sin. Because the pleasure that they're finding in that sin is still there. And what I've found is that when faced with temptation, the immediate pleasure of sin almost always overrides the fear of long-term consequences. That's my, the story of my life. In other words, when I was in addiction, someone said, Andrew, you keep doing this, you're going to lose your wife, your son, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose everything, and eventually you'll lose your own life. And you know what? I knew they were right. I knew they were right. And I wanted to change. And I knew that what they were saying was actually true, and that was the path of my life. And yet I would make every promise to God, say, I'm not going to do it. And guess what? One hour later, here I was right back in the same lifestyle. Why? Because there was a pleasure, as broken and as perverted as it was, there was something my heart was longing for. And just telling me, you can't do this, and this is what will happen if you do it, would never be enough. So how do you overcome the fleeting pleasures of sin, not by living in a pleasure vacuum, but where we just were before in worship, by experiencing the pleasures of God. Listen, David, David said in Psalm 36, 8, I drink from the rivers of your pleasure. And then Psalm 16, we were singing it, in your right hand uh, is, is fullness of joy. I'm sorry, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How do you fight the fleeting pleasures of sin? With the forevermore pleasures of God. Forevermore means eternal, pure, true, life-giving. And who is at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. Where do you find these pleasures forevermore? As you behold the Lamb of God. 
This is what you and I were made for, to be fascinated and filled with awe of the man Christ. And I have found that one encounter, one opening of my heart to the Lord and saying, this is how you feel about me, encountering his emotions, or this is who you are, or this is the way you saved me, your works, or this is your nature, one encounter like that so captivated my heart, I became controlled, if you would, by his beauty. I wanted more of him, more of him. That it was like what I tried for months of like, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to wake up, I'm not going to curse today, I'm not going to do that. I tried so hard, and these things would happen before the day even got started. I started learning to really behold the Lamb of God, as Paul said, and all of a sudden it was one month, two months, six months, nine months, and I go, oh my goodness. I don't look at that anymore. I don't talk about that stuff anymore. I don't even desire that stuff. In fact, if it ever comes around, it feels disgusting. <laughs> I, I'm, he's so got me now that I, I'm actually, I'm so put off by the old habits. This is transformation. <laughs> this is change. God will crush and expel the inferior pleasures. The, he'll, he'll liberate you from the tyranny of inferior pleasures by getting you to taste and see the superior pleasure of Christ. That is how he sets you free. It's like, God, I want to be free. And then, boom, one touch. The heart opens up. One encounter. One encounter, guys, of Jesus saying to the Father in John, I think it's John 59, with, with the same way that the Father has loved me, so I love you, abide in my love. Stuff that you hear, and all of a sudden, one encounter before the Lord of that heart reality of God loving you this way, everything shifts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Just before we pray, and we'll make some space for anyone who'd like to be prayed over, I just want to remind the children's meeting, is that in here or in the office? In the office right after. Okay, so as soon as we finish up, if you'd like prayer and, or you just want to stay for a little bit, feel free to, but just remember for the parents, right in the office we're going to have a meeting for the, uh, for the parents, those are children here. Now, honestly, what we've discussed is just a sliver of how beholding the Lord changes us. We could talk about how encountering each emotion of God, each facet of God, will in a unique way change your life. <laughs> like encountering His holiness and whatnot, it's going gonna, it's gonna to touch you in different ways. But this is one of the reasons why we're so bent on the ministry of, of this prayer room, because you and I and all of us have been called to the ministry of beholding the Lamb. And I want to implore you to do it on your own, but I want to invite you once again in this new year we gather Thursdays and Fridays, morning and night, and as God leads to increase, we'll, we'll, we want to have it every day of the week, morning and night. You could come in before the Lord like this, but I want to invite you to be a part of it because, look, you may not feel something, but you're changing. You're deeply changing for the Lord. You can't stay the same. How many of you have ever been in, into working out, <laughs> right? You're working out for a while, and you're like, you're ready to give up because after 30 days, two months, you're like, I look exactly the same, and then you see that friend. You, you, you see that friend, and he says, oh, my goodness, Andrew, you look, you look awesome, man. Have you been working out? You've been dieting? You're like, wow, really? I, I didn't see that because it, it's a degree change. It's gradual change. This is why it's so good to be with the brothers and sisters so that we can look at one another and say, 
man, I see Jesus coming through. There's a light in your life I didn't see before. The way you speak is different. I, you know, you can always tell when someone has been beholding the lamb. You can't manufacture it. You, you can't. You, you hear it in their voice. You see it in their eyes. And I've said this before, but you can be in the Lord for 50 years. I've said it just like this. You can be in the Lord for 50 years, and, and you've learned to confess he's Christ and, and he's Lord, and that's awesome. But you've never learned this, how to really come away and set your mind and your heart on him to behold him. And I tell you what, someone who's been in the Lord for one year who's learned this will far exceed in maturity the one who's been in the Lord for 50 years. And I remind you that it's we all. This is for everyone. So do it in your household. Do it in your homes. Do it with your kids. But let's make 2023 a year that we're going to do it as a family. <laughs> we're going to gaze his beauty. So I'm just going to pray. And then we'll worship for a little bit. For those of you who want to stick around, if you want prayer, we have Willie and the prayer team. I really felt led to just pray. For those who've maybe never really encountered the pleasure of God, like that just seems foreign, I want to pray that this year you would really say, I've seen, like he's fascinated my heart. We'll pray over things in your life that you've had strongholds. Let's just pray that they break by the beauty of the Lord. They're going to break by the beauty of God this year. Amen? So Lord, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are committed to changing us. Thank you that you're making us look more like the sun. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the glory of the new covenant that we can be changed and transformed. And I'm asking God that we would be marked as a community by the one thing. We'd be marked by a people who consistently come to look at your beauty. God, I ask, and I pray over our prayer room, Lord, that the encounters would deepen, that personal transformation and revival would deepen, and I ask God, that right from your word, the forevermore pleasures of who you are, Jesus, we're asking for an impartation this year that we've never experienced. I ask, Holy Spirit, that as people step out into this for the first time, to give their life to this, I ask for an encounter that would open their eyes. God, that they would be forever undone. I ask, God, that this would be the year that cycles of old sinful habits would break off merely because we've seen you and savor you to such a degree that we no longer want these things anymore, God. I ask, God, that this community, this church would display the freedom that is possible in you, Jesus. We pray, God, that lust and anger and, God, just impurities, God, would be broken off of this house. God, that our lives would testify that you can change, God, that you can transform, Lord that you can make new. We ask God that we would not be in the new covenant, but live under old covenant realities of knowing we're forgiven, but remaining the same God. But oh, we ask for a corporate, corporate beholding, Lord. We ask God for a community that has a single eye on you, Lord. I'm asking God that we would not just sing songs. We would not just hear messages, Lord. 
But I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would truly open the eyes of hearts, open the eyes of minds. We need you, Holy Spirit. Where minds have been blinded, we ask that these minds would see the glory of God. We pray over evangelism, God, that when we go out and witness, that we would witness to the fullness of Christ, that Holy Spirit, you would come and back it up and open hearts as the gospel's being shared to who Jesus is. May this be a year, God, in Mastic Beach where we could say hearts were truly open and it led to lasting fruit, God. happy you could join us on the home church podcast we pray this week's message encourages you to behold the lord jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go you can visit us online at myhomechurch.org subscribe to our youtube channel or follow us on social media if you would like to give to this ministry text the amount to eight four three two one bless you